Hey there, Captain Roger from the Salvation Army in Grass Valley. We're here for our uh, weekly worship and study time, and I'm so grateful that you came to join us today. Um, hey, grab your Bible and flip to the book of Matthew right around chapter 13, because that's where we're going to be at. By the way, grace and peace to all of you today. We, we've been working through Matthew's biography of Jesus, trying to make sure that we understand who and what Jesus is, at least uh, who Matthew thought he was and, and why, and what some of the things Jesus had to say were. And i got to tell you, this next section in Matthew 13 that we're in, it's really hard to properly teach this section in the time that we have without getting all crazy technical about the way that it's put together. But we will, we will. Uh, I, I, for, I have to tell you, Matthew used an advanced chiastic structure, kind of a, a sandwich of ideas pointing to a main central point. But even for Bible geeks like me, digging into chiasms is a slog. So what's really happening here is Jesus told a whole lot of stories, and Matthew has lined some of them up for us to hear and learn from. And the fact that he lined them up in a certain way, that might come up later, but we don't want to dwell on that. We want to focus on the stories, because that's the fun part. Now, to start, I'm going to tell you the first story, which you'll find in Matthew chapter 13, starting right at verse 1. And because I want to capture the feel of hearing these stories as stories, I'll be using the message translation for most of what we read today. All right, you got Matthew 13 open, hopefully, by now? Always double-check stuff. Even if your words, because your translation is different, even if your words are different, always double-check to make sure the guy is reading something that has the same meaning as what you have uh, you'll notice with the message translation, it's a lot more conversational and uh, less word uh, precise, which is fine because these are stories. The meaning behind them main, remains the same regardless of the words. Now, Matthew 13 at verse 1 says that at about that same time, at the same time as all the things that happened before, which we're not going to go over, about that same time, Jesus left the house and he sat on the beach. In no time at all, a crowd gathered along the shoreline, forcing him to get into a boat. Using the boat as a pulpit, he addressed his congregation, telling stories. And Jesus said, What do you make of this? A farmer planted seed, and as he scattered the seed, some of it fell on the road, and the birds ate it. Some fell in the gravel, and it sprouted quickly, but didn't put down roots. So when the sun came up, it withered just as quickly some fell in the weeds, and as it came up, it was strangled by the weeds. Some fell on good earth and produced a harvest beyond his wildest dreams. And then Jesus said, Are you listening to this? Really listening? Now, nowadays, we call this kind of story a, a parable. In Hebrew, it was called a mashal. And these are, are stories that are comparisons. They, they use a shared experience to make a point. Telling a story like this, Jesus was using these commonplace images and situations to try to explain what it meant to live in God's kingdom. The disciples following him, though, they weren't really sold on this. They liked it when Jesus just told them things instead of making them think about stuff for themselves. Look at, look at verse 10. It says, The disciples came up and asked, Why do you tell stories? And Jesus replied, You've been given insight into God's kingdom. You know how it works. Not everybody has this gift, this insight. It hasn't been given to them. 
Whenever someone has a ready heart for this, the insights and understandings flow freely. But if there is no readiness, any trace of receptivity soon disappears. That's why I tell stories, to create readiness, to nudge the people towards receptive insight. In their present state, they can stare until doomsday and not see it. They can listen until they're blue in the face and not get it. And then... Jesus tells them two things to draw them into his teaching in a, a, a new way, a way they haven't been pulled in before. First, he tells them something from their history. He says, I don't want Isaiah's forecast repeated all over again. Your ears are open, but you don't hear a thing. Your eyes are awake, but you don't see a thing. The people are blockheads. They stick their fingers in their ears so they don't have to listen. They screw their eyes shut so they won't have to look. So they won't have to deal with me face to face and let me heal them. Now, this is Jesus quoting from what we now call Isaiah chapter 6. When the Lord sent that prophet to warn the people that they had gone so far away from him that judgment was coming. All he wanted was for them to come back, but he said they were behaving like children, throwing a tantrum, refusing to listen, refusing to even look away from their sin to be healed. And Jesus said... He didn't want that to happen again. So he's telling them stories to kind of sneak kingdom knowledge into them. He wants them to hear and to see and to think until the truth just explodes in their brains and they find themselves heading back to God as they rejoin the kingdom that they've been rebelling against. Right? Now, second, second, Jesus tells his disciples something about themselves. Who doesn't want to hear about themselves, right? Look at verse 16. <clears throat> he says, You, you have God-blessed eyes, eyes that can see, and God-blessed ears, ears that can hear. A lot of people, prophets and humble believers among them, would have given anything to see what you're seeing, to hear what you're hearing, but they never had the chance. He said to them, look, hey, I have to use stories to get to the crowd because otherwise they won't listen. You, though, my followers, my disciples, you've already opened yourselves up to God's kingdom truth. And, and then Jesus rewards them for being open to what he has to say by explaining it to make sure that everyone really understands what it is that he's teaching. Starting at verse 18, verse 18, Jesus says, Study this story of the farmer planting seed. When anyone hears news of the kingdom and doesn't take it in, it just remains on the surface. And so the evil one comes along and plucks it right out of that person's heart. This is the seed the farmer scatters on the road. And at this point I can see the guys with him looking at each other going, Oh, I get it. That makes sense. So then the next part... And Jesus goes on. He says, The seed cast in the gravel... This is the person who hears and instantly responds with enthusiasm, but there's no soil of character. So when the emotions wear off and some difficulty arrives, there's nothing to show for it. The seed cast in the weeds is the person who hears the kingdom news, but the weeds of worry and illusions about getting more and wanting everything under the sun strangle what was heard and nothing comes of it. So there's the next two. And then, I love this last one, he says, look, the seed cast on good earth... That's the person who hears and takes in the news and then produces a harvest beyond his wildest dreams. So let me ask you, do you get it? 
Do you see how all these pieces fit together? It's so easy when Jesus explains it, right? We don't need to really think about it quite so much. I mean, we have to think about it because we've been trying to figure it out. And now here he is. He's given us the answer. And we can think, oh, yeah, I see how that connects. But you know what? Only those who sought to understand more got more to understand. Did, did you follow that? It was the people who were open to learning who got more to learn. For those who didn't bother, they just got a nice little story about the challenges of farming, right? Now, sit with that for a moment while Jesus tells us another story. He told another story. <laughs> I guess I, I told you and now the Bible told you. He told another story. God's kingdom is like a farmer who planted good seed in his field. That night, while his hired men were asleep, his enemy sowed thistles all through the wheat and slipped away before dawn. When the first green shoots appeared and the grain began to form, the thistles showed up too. The farmhands came to the farmer and said, Master, that, that was clean seed you planted, wasn't it? Where did these thistles come from? And he answered, Some enemy did this. And the farmhands asked, Well, should we weed out the thistles? And he said, Oh, no. If you weed the thistles, you'll pull up the wheat too. Let them grow together until harvest time. Then I'll instruct the harvesters to pull up the thistles and tie them into bundles for the fire and gather the wheat and put it into the barn. Oh, good story, eh? <laughs> I bet you want to know what's going on there. Well, me too. How do we get the answer? Well, we can think through it and try to figure it out. There's a whole bunch of ways we could apply what Jesus just said. But which one is right? Or is there even a right and wrong there? Ooh, there, there's a thought, isn't it? What if this is one of those things where there isn't a specific right answer or a wrong answer, but it could be applied in more than one way? Then then what? It bears thinking about, right? We, we could also, you know, we could ask Jesus, you know, just to make sure we're on the right track. Let, let's do that. Oh, wait. Shoot. He's telling another story. Another story. God's kingdom is like a pine nut that a farmer plants. It's quite small as seeds go, but in the course of years it grows into a huge pine tree and eagles build nests in it. <laughs> wait, wait, so God's kingdom is this tiny thing that grows into a big thing? Is that what he's saying? Big enough for birds to nest in. What, what on earth does that mean? Maybe we should take a minute. Oh, no, wait, Jesus is on to another one already. Another story. God's kingdom is like yeast that a woman works into the dough for dozens of loaves of barley bread and waits while the dough rises. Okay, so this is, this is another story about God's kingdom being something small that grows into something big. Where, where a tree is big, it, it's got a limit, right? Yeah, but yeast growing in dough, there, there's no limit there. The more dough you have and the more time you give it, the more the yeast will grow. Eventually, yeast will leaven every bit of the dough. Even if you just start with a little tiny bit. All right, so the kingdom is this thing that might have seemed small to them at the time, but it was going to grow. It would get bigger and bigger until it filled... Until it filled what? Till it filled the dough. Uh, are, are we the dough? Is the church the dough? The world? The galaxy? The universe? I, I don't know. It'd be cool to find out, though, all right? Think about the kingdom of God as 
Jesus followers would have seen it back then. I mean, what they have, they had Jesus, they had 12 key guys, several dozen others who were kind of hangers on there, followers, uh, most of them anyway, plus maybe some of the hundreds or thousands that showed up or followed along at any given time. And overall, they would have been pretty big for an activist group, but pretty small in the grand scale of things, right? What do you think these guys would have said if you told them stories about Jesus were going to be written down and collected into the scriptures. How about if you said the world calendar is going to change to date from when we think that Jesus was born? What if you tried to describe the prevalence of Gideon Bibles in hotel rooms? I mean... What, what's with that? Uh, what have you tried to explain tens of thousands of church denominations or, or hospitals, schools, or child care centers, all of which were begun in the name of Jesus as ways to grow the kingdom of God? Do you think those first guys would have had any understanding about what these parables Jesus is telling about the kingdom of God, about what they might mean, about how you could grow from this seed into this giant thing that provides shade and comfort and food? Even the growth that these guys got to see in their own lifetimes must have just been staggeringly unthinkable back when Jesus was just wandering around the backwaters of Israel telling those first handfuls of people that the kingdom of God was at hand. And here, he's described so much with these two short, pithy little stories about yeast and a tree growing from a seed. All of which Matthew sums up by saying this. All Jesus did that day was tell stories, a long storytelling afternoon. His storytelling fulfilled the prophecy, I will open my mouth and tell stories. I will bring out into the open things that have been hidden since the world's first day. Now this prophecy is out of uh, Psalm 78. It reminds us of the even more humble beginnings of the people of God. I mean, they were a tribe of slaves in Egypt. But by God's power and grace, he brought them out, set them free, and performed so many miracles for them. But they still, they wouldn't listen. They kept falling away. God would go after them, and he'd bring them back, and he'd show them, look, I care about you. Come this way. I'm, I'm doing the best to bring you to where you need to be. You just have to follow. You need to pay attention. You have to listen. And they'd say, yes, sir. And they'd go with him a few steps, and then they would rebel again and wander off. But in this story of Israel's history, what we also see is the hidden story of God coming to light. We see that he cares for all of his children, and we see that he cares for all of his children, not just Israel, but all of humankind. Israel was supposed to be this beacon that drew people in, right? The stories of the past reveal truths about the present and hopes for the future. And just as Jesus' stories were doing for the people who listened to him that day, they can still do that for us now. That's amazing, isn't it? But uh, I still want to know what the story about the wheat and the thorns meant. Do you think Jesus will help us out with that one? Look at verse 36. Jesus dismissed the congregation and went into the house. His disciples came in and said, Hey, explain to us that story of the thistles in the field. 
Let's see, it's not just me, it's not just us seeking a better understanding of the answers that we've managed to start piecing together. Those guys back then are still like, we just want to, we want to make sure that we understand what you're saying, Jesus. We want to make sure that we get what's going on. So Matthew writes, he explained, the farmer who sows the pure seed is the son of man. The field is the world. The pure seeds are subjects of the kingdom. The thistles are subjects of the devil. And the enemy who sows them is the devil. The harvest is at the end of the age, the curtain of history. And the harvest's hands are angels. Hmm. Yeah, I guess when you think about that, that makes sense, doesn't it? The adversary deceives people and kind of lures them into tripping up others, trying to bring us all down before God comes on that final day of the Lord. I guess that's the, the harvest in this story, right? Oh, but wait, Jesus isn't done explaining yet. The picture of the thistles pulled up and burned is a scene from the final act. The Son of Man will send his angels, weed out the thistles from his kingdom, pitch them in the trash, and be done with them. They're going to complain to high heaven, but nobody is going to listen. At the same time, ripe, holy lives will mature and adorn the kingdom of their father. And then Jesus said to his followers, Are you listening to this? Really listening? Now, if we were listening, we just heard Jesus tell us again that the choice we're making in life is one of allegiance. Are we part of the kingdom, part of the wheat harvest, or are we serving the interests of the adversary? Is the fruit that we're creating blossoms that will adorn God's kingdom? Or is it nothing but thorns? To put it in terms that might resonate more with current events, are we leaving piles of dead behind, or are we healing people so that they can go heal others? Do, do you get it? Because Jesus is done explaining the world of wheat and thistles, but he's not done telling us stories. Check verses 44 through 46. He's got two more for us, just in those short verses. He says, God's kingdom is like a treasure hidden in a field for years and then accidentally found by a trespasser. The finder is ecstatic. What a find! And he proceeds to sell everything that he owns to raise money and buy that field. Or, God's kingdom is like a jewel merchant on the hunt for excellent pearls, and finding one that's flawless, he immediately sells everything and buys it. And what is the place in the kingdom worth to you? Is it a treasure worth giving your all for? If the kingdom is growing to fill everything, then doesn't it make sense to give everything for it? Everything outside of it is valueless in the end, so why not trade it for the kingdom, right? Why not cling to the wheat instead of to the thistles? Jesus has one more story for his in-group. There's one more piece of kingdom knowledge he wants them to understand before he asks them a very important question. So, he tells them God's kingdom is like a treasure hidden in a field, or like a flawless jewel in the marketplace. That, that's what we read in verse 47. <clears throat> or, I'm sorry, that's what we read in verse uh, 46. Uh, or it's what we read in verse 47. i got to get my verses straight here. Because uh, he's got this third story is in verse 47. He says, or God's kingdom is like a fishnet cast into the sea, catching all kinds of fish. When it's full, it's hauled onto the beach. 
The good fish are picked out and put in a tub, and those that are unfit to eat are thrown away. That's how it will be when the curtain comes down on history. The angels will come and cull the bad fish and throw them in the garbage. There will be a lot of desperate complaining, but it won't do any good. And on this note, which I'm sure you can see is another way of telling the same story as the end of the story of the wheat and the weeds, Jesus asks that very important question that I mentioned earlier. Look at the next verse. Jesus asked, Are you starting to get a handle on all this? And they answered, Yes. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah? Well, I hope so. Notice he's not asking if we have all the details down exactly right. What he's asking is, are we putting the pieces together? Are we working out how it all connects? Are we thinking it through? Well then, the last verse, for now, is verse 52. Jesus said, Then you see how every student well-trained in God's kingdom is like the owner of a general store who can put his hands on anything you need, old or new, exactly when you need it. So if we understand the stories Jesus tells, we'll have all that we need. Need for what? I know I said I wasn't going to get into the details of the structure of Matthew's writing, but it might help to know that this short statement ties directly to the parable of the farmer that started us on today's journey. Understanding the stories of Jesus helps us understand that when we spread the word about God's kingdom, we can use things old and new in order to increase the harvest. What we need is more of the seed if we, that we uh, spread to root we need more of that seed that we spread. We need it to root into, into good soil. Because when it's in the good soil, then it's going to grow and produce more, right? That's when we get that unbelievable harvest. And we're able to use old things and new things to help prepare the ground so the seed can sprout and grow and thrive. We could use old teachings from the distant past. We could use newer teachings from New Testament days. We could use still newer teachings and methods from the current day to grow those seeds into harvests that will ultimately be larger than anything we might even be able to imagine. But Jesus has equipped us to do just that. That's what these stories were for. To encourage us, to grow us, to give us the information that we need to know how to reach out to people. How to draw them into the kingdom. Because we're on one side or the other. We're with God in his kingdom or we're not. Let me leave you with a challenge today. It's a tough one. I challenge you to believe what Jesus said. Accept your place in God's kingdom. Spread the seed of the word and help cultivate it as it grows to bring impossible harvests. As it spreads to fill the world and more. Give all that you have to uncover it and to own it. Give all that you have to claim it. So that when the sorting comes, you'll be counted among the fish fit for the kingdom. Will you do that? 
If so, pray this prayer with me. Oh God, we come before you as people who want to accept your gift of a place in the kingdom. We want to serve as your agents in the world, doing the things that you set before us to do so that we can grow and be more and more what you created us to be. Help us to do the things which will produce the fruit which you have planned for us to grow. Grant us understanding and the will to seek the answers that we need to succeed. Teach us to follow Jesus in all things and to represent him and you in all things and to stand for the kingdom in all things. By the blood and the power of Jesus Christ, we pray these things. Amen. Amen. You know how I know you can do this? Because wherever it is that we go, God is already there. So we don't have anything to fear because he's right there with us. We've got our backup all the time. Wherever you go, God is there. Remember, you have nothing to fear. Go with God. Grace and peace to each and every one of you this week.